listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Good morning. Glad you could be with us. We are, I don't even know what week we are. I know what day it is. It's July 18th, but this is probably the, what is it, eighth week we've done this, seventh week? Uh, And if this is your first time with us, welcome. Uh, We're going to spend the next 45 minutes looking at a specific question that we have um, uh, chosen uh, to to discuss. Uh, We are going to be looking at a question, and the next two weeks are kind of supposed to be together a little bit. We're going to be looking at the topic of the Bible, which is very easy to cover in 45 minutes, right? Yeah, basically. Uh, Exactly. We're going to cover it all in 45 minutes, absolutely. Uh, But uh, we are happy that you are here. Uh, And and like I say every week, uh, this is something uh, that is for you, to equip you. And I love to reiterate things. I love to, I think you need to hear this every week. We're not trying to make you better lawyers. We're not trying to make you better arguers. Uh, We're trying to give you tools in your tool belt to be able uh, to have conversations with people that may be thinking a a certain way um, that aligns with some of the questions that we are asking. Uh, And so hopefully you know who I am. My name is Jace Williamson. I'm one of the pastors here. This is Kyle Esri, one of our missionaries. He's actually going to be preaching today. Uh, And obviously you know Pastor Mike. Uh, And so I will just say this up front. Pastor Mike and I have been on a mission trip all week. Uh, we were, I carved out uh, maybe three hours to study uh, over the last week. Uh, and, and so if you are a big NBA fan, all right, I watched the NBA finals. Me and Pastor Mike are going to be running our offense through Kyle this morning. Uh, we're gonna be, Thanks for that. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, we're going to be passing the ball. Uh, we're going to be playing off him. Uh, but hopefully we can just throw an alley-oop to Giannis where he can just dunk it, okay? Uh, no, uh, we're, we're <laughs> I, I'm prepared. I'm really, uh, this is how pastors say it, I'm depending upon the Holy Spirit this morning. <laughs> and so, so that's how that is working. Uh, but uh, so. Sorry about that soundboard. It's, uh, yeah. That, that got me to laugh. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. So we are going to ask the question. This is our question this morning. Uh, it is how can you believe the Bible is true. How can you believe the Bible is true? So obviously, uh, we're going to answer this question, and what I love to do is ask, the, ask this question and ask, why are we asking it? Okay, let's, let's start with the basic, basic facts of what the Bible is. The Bible is written in three languages, has 66 books, starting around 1400 BC through about 100 AD, This is a time span over 1,500 years. It was written in the the context of ancient cultures using languages and themes that we are unfamiliar with most of the time. So why in the world in 2021 are we preaching from a text like the one I just described? It makes claims about who God is. It makes claims about humanity. It makes claims about our relationship between God and man. It has claims of miracles and other unbelievable things. It has very strange Bible verses about blood and about so many other things that I could get into uh, that hopefully we'll get into next week. Uh, But my question is this. How can we trust what we're reading? 
What happens if we get this wrong? And, how, and, and what effect does the words that we're reading in our, the book that we hold so sacred have for us today? And so we're asking this question because this is an authority issue. At, at the baseline, this is an authority where we've talked about this before several times, that we as a culture believe, and, and Kyle's going to get into this, in a self-authority, that my truth, my belief trumps all other authorities in our lives, even words from a sacred book. And the reality is that as Christians, we would say that this book gives me truth. It is the truth. And it impacts every uh, word, every um, minute, and how we live, all of those things. And so is there anything that you want to add to that as far as introduction-wise? Well, I just I, okay. I think it's important because you're going to find, and we we talk about this pretty often as it relates to evangelism. I think there was a time when you could kind of start the conversation with, well, the Bible, you know, yeah. and and largely people would, you know, they would buy into that. I, I don't think you can start there today. I mean, it's just difficult uh, to do that. So that's why it's critically important uh, that we have an understanding of of what this book is. It's a miracle. This book is a miracle book. Um, and, and so I think it's important that we, that we recognize that. I think you'll find that people fall into, you know, and this is really oversimplifying it, but you, you'll have people out there that will say, that's a bunch of bunk. I mean, it's just a bunch of fairy tales and myths and all those kind of things. You'll have another group of people, and this is probably where a lot of people in our country particularly fall. They would say, it's good literature. I mean, it, you know, it's a great ancient book, and it's uh, got a lot of pithy wisdom in it and, you know, some neat little nuggets for living a good moral life and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you've got, uh, hopefully, this is where you fall, that you see this book as authoritative. And Jace uh, already mentioned that word. I think that's, that's critically important to us. So, yeah. Right. So let's jump into it. One of the first questions we're going to ask this morning is, why do you trust the Bible as true? And this is an authority question. So Kyle, I'm going to kind of pass that over to you. Yeah, so I think the, the way that I would begin by answering that question is I would say, well, why shouldn't I believe that the Bible is true? And if I'm being honest, I believe the Bible is true because as I read these words, as I study these passages, the Holy Spirit confirms in my heart that these words are true. I read these words and they sound like the words of God. They I experience them as the words of God. As I read them, I see that they are applicable to my life. And so if that's the baseline, then from there, I can start to ask other questions. And so I think that a, a good question to ask is, whenever you and I think about proving something is true, how do we go about it? Well, think about like a five-year-old kid, right? Uh, maybe some of you have five-year-old kids, and you know their favorite question, why? right? So this happens, and the kid says, why? And you explain it, and then they say, why? And then you explain it, and they say, why? And you say, stop talking, I'm your parent, right? But like, you, they just keep asking, why, why, why? Well, you get back to a point where it's just a basic belief. It's the foundation of all other truth. And I believe that's what we have in God's word. This is a revelation from God. 
And if this is a revelation from God, there's nothing outside of it that I can use to prove it. But through it, I can see everything else and see how everything else makes sense. So personally, why do I trust the Bible? Well, because the Spirit confirms that this is truly God's Word. Now, we can get into all the nerdy stuff about, you know, well, how does it match up with history in this area or in that area or those types of things, but... Do you think that's important to, for Christians to dig into? Absolutely. So there's a difference between what is important for you as a Christian with knowing that this is God's Word, and how might we talk about this in a cross-cultural discussion? So, I mean, y'all know we live in Southeast Asia. I, I run into people all the time who don't hold that the Bible is true, right? And so whenever I'm going to have a discussion with them about these types of things, it is good to know basic historical facts, basic, you know, archaeology, basic uh, historical cultures and worldviews so that I can show that what the Bible says matches what we know from other sources of knowledge. Um, pick it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because what you're explaining is what Jesus would talk about in John 10, 10, right? Um, my the sheep... Thief. Well, no, no, that's not John. John 10, 10. No, just John 10. John 10. Yes, not John 10, 10. Uh, is my sheep hear my voice? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's part of what you're talking about as this uh, God's revealed word uh, to us. But, uh, like, yes, I think that is absolutely, like, essential in our belief in, in the authority of Scripture. Um, but also, I also think on the other side... There is this belief of, or these questions of, how do we know anything is true? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we test truth claims? And uh, these these ideas of observation and eyewitness and examination and evidence, where the Bible is not void of those things either. Uh, and, and so, one of the best questions that I love uh, to to ask is, is the Bible coherent? Like, does it make sense? Uh, and, and one of the things that R.C. Sproul would say, uh, I was reading some of his stuff yesterday, is the Bible has literally thousands of testable historical prophecies, mm -hmm. cases which events clearly foretold and both the foretelling and the fulfillment are a matter of historical record. So when we're talking about actual testable things, but that is not enough, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, we can get, dig into it and have an idea of what, what, you know, the observation, eyewitness, examination, evidence, all of those things. But what Kyle is speaking about, when, when we understand that God has revealed his word to us and we know and understand his voice, that is what is so important, so important. Can I give an example yeah. of this? So, okay, uh, whenever I was 18-year-old Kyle uh, living in Plano with the new internet, we had this thing called bulletin boards. Y'all remember this? Okay, like the really old people. And like we would get on these things and we would have all sorts of different debates. And I would get on these atheist Christian forums because I am who I am, right? And so like we would read, we would, we would have these 
so silly. We would have these debates, and it would be like, okay, you get 500 words for your position, and he gets 500 words, and we go back and forth. And I remember one time, I had this debate with an atheist on the truth and the historicity of Jesus' resurrection. And we went back and forth and back and forth until we got to our conclusion. And I said, history confirms that Jesus rose from the dead. And you know what the atheist said in response for his conclusion? He said, you're probably right. The historical data confirms that Jesus rose from the dead, and someday science will tell us how he did it. Do you see the problem there? He believed the historical facts, but the Spirit of God hadn't opened his heart to believe, right? So just knowing the history isn't enough. You have to have that spirit. That's good. Mike, anything from you? Well, I'm just thinking of the text that says the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And I think mm-hmm. he does that mm-hmm. through his word. Um, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. very, very critically important. Uh, that's where I think you, you, know, you, you separate those who view it as just good literature um, as opposed to this is a life-changing, life-altering book, a revelation from God. And I think that's where the whole um, authorship aspect comes in. You know, the word... Uh, authority, and it has the same root word as author, and so, you know, it's generally understood if someone authors a work, then they are at least to some degree an authority on the subject. Um, that's the reason I've never written a book. So, um, and so who is the author of this book? Um, and, and we'll probably get into some of this, but, you know, you say, well, there are obviously 40, I think 40-some human authors that Jace mentioned a moment ago, but ultimately there's only one author, uh, and that is God. Uh, and that's the miracle of this. Mm-hmm. So. Which is very confusing to people, yeah. absolutely. But mm-hmm. So let's, let's kind of shift gears here. So we're talking about why, why do we trust the Bible as true, but let's go back a minute and let's define what Bible is. Um, so this is our next question. What do you mean by Bible? Um, so Kyle, again. Yeah, so we open up our Bible, and we have 66 books. We have 39 books in the Old Testament. We have 27 books in the New Testament. But if we were to go down to the Catholic Church, they're going to have a few extra books, right? And even if we were to look at church history, we're going to find that there were some pastors in certain times that they said certain books were inspired that we wouldn't say are inspired. And they said that other books aren't inspired that we would say are inspired, right? And so how do we know that the 66 books that we have are the Word of God? Well, with regards to the Old Testament, I think this is much easier than even the question of the New Testament. With the Old Testament, we have Jesus. And you can look at the things that Jesus said. You can look at the books that Jesus, is, that Jesus quoted. He wasn't quoting First and Second Maccabees or Tobit or the Wisdom of Solomon. He was quoting the books that we have in our Old Testament. Testament. And he said, he said, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms point to me. And that's the way that the Jews who viewed the 39 books of the Old Testament as scripture, that's the way that they referred to those 39 books, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms or the writings. But furthermore, we have a good amount of extra biblical data that confirms that this is true. Our oldest historical texts of of the Bible come from the Dead Sea Scrolls. There are all sorts of other books in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it is absolutely clear that the books that they viewed as Scripture 
are 38 of the 39 books that we have. Now, we haven't found any um, manuscripts of Esther in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but that doesn't mean that necessarily um, they didn't believe that Esther was Scripture. It just means that the manuscripts of Esther weren't preserved. But we do have clear manuscripts of the law, of the prophets, of all except for one book of the writings, and those copies that we have are so close to what we knew before the Dead Sea Scrolls that you can put them side by side, and you can say, oh, okay, well, they spelled this word a little differently, but it's clearly the same word. And you can just go line by line, same text. So as a, I I love asking this question because I think it's so important, historical backing of the Bible. Like, how would you rank that in regards or relative to other historical documents that we have? Yeah, yeah. Well, in regards to other historical documents, it's, it's a slam dunk case, right? There's no, there's no comparison. Um, we have so many manuscripts of the New Testament. We have a, just a wealth of manuscripts of Old Testament passages as well. I mean, if you talk about something like Sennacherib's uh, history from ancient Assyria, we have one tablet. Right, because we all talk about that, by the way. You don't? No. Okay. So, like, if you're talking about Neo-Assyrian history, right, there's, like, one tablet that tells about these things. If you're talking about the, the Roman Caesars from the time of Christ, there are two or three or maybe, at most, four or five authors that are talking about these Caesars, and their stories don't match up right? Was this Caesar good or bad? We don't know. But if we look at the New Testament, the portrait that it gives of Jesus is consistent. Even though some of the books were written in probably Aramaic before being translated into Greek, some were written in Greek, some were written to Jews, some were written to Gentiles, they were written in various parts of the Roman Empire and the Middle East, but the story that they tell and the picture that they give of Jesus is consistent. Yeah, Peter Williams' book, uh, Can We Trust the Gospels? I would highly, such a, cool book. such a good book. It's about, I mean, it's about this big. It's really, really good. Uh, I would highly recommend it to all of you. We could probably post it on our Facebook. And just real quick, Peter Williams, he teaches at Tyndale House, which is a school at Cambridge. Yes. So not, you know, like down at this community college, <laughs> right? Cambridge. Yeah, yeah. he's got some cred. Yeah, uh, and, and so one of the things that he talks about is what exactly what Kyle is talking about. What the, when you look at the historical backing of even Jesus's biographies, there's more on Jesus than there was about these, these Roman leaders. I mean, just incredible uh, historical documentation about this this. Who, I mean, who is Jesus? Like, I mean, he wasn't anybody that came from royal lineage or anything like that. It was just this guy that, and we have so much historical backing. And so when you're talking about the New Testament, Kyle's right, the New Testament is a little trickier. But one of the things, and I'll give you two quick criterias for how we got our New Testament uh, books. One is apostolic origin. You know, Matthew uh, was one of the first canonized gospels. It was uh, accepted as 
uh, canonical from the very beginning, meaning it was accepted into uh, our 66 books from the very, very beginning. And it's really called a, a testimony. These biographies uh, of Jesus are called testimonies. And I love what uh, Rick, Richard Bauckham says, and you actually recommended this book to me. Jesus really, the Eyewitnesses. Yeah, really, really good book. Good book. Uh, and he says, testimony is a category that enables us to read the Gospels in a properly uh, a proper historical way and a proper theological way. And I love what he says about testimony. It's where history and theology meet. So it's giving us this historical understanding of Jesus' life, but it's also given, the, given a theological understanding because Jesus is God, right? And so you have this apostolic origin because Matthew obviously walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus. But you also have Mark, who Mark was, was the first gospel written. Um, and it was written about 35 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, which some people, you know, kind of the, the critics would say, well, that's a long time. How do we know what that's true? And I love one of the books that we're going through with uh, Rebecca McLaughlin talks about this. Um, and she would say, well, ask your grandparents a, a, a story about their childhood. Ask them. And would you say that's too long? Would you say, no, that's not true because it's been 35 years? And then you, you know, one-up them with the uh, life of Jesus, the death and resurrection, and all of these things that would probably stick a little bit uh, in your brain if you saw. And these are eyewitness accounts yeah. that are um, that are given to us, but Mark didn't have, correct me if I'm wrong, he didn't see Jesus, correct? No, I think he's using Peter. Peter. That's what Papias right. says. Yes, absolutely. That's what I thought. And so I just wanted to check that real quick. <laughs> but there's also a second criteria. Uh, there's acceptance in the early church community. Mm -hmm. So you have these gospels of Thomas or these other uh, variations of the gospels that would be thrown out there, and they weren't accepted by the early church communities. Uh, there was, if you go and read, I actually had to read the Gospel of Thomas for a class one time, and it was out there. It was strange. There was things that did not match up with the Jesus that we uh, see in the Gospels. The saying to Mary Magdalene that only if she becomes a man can yes. she enter the kingdom of heaven? Yes. You find that odd? Yeah, I find that weird. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. So there's these acceptance in the, in the early church communities that were, that were, uh, that we, that they collected, that we're given. And so there's two kind of criterias there uh, for the New Testament. Uh, but, Mike, do you have anything? No, I mean, just a, I mean, this is a fascinating study. I mean, when you just look at, uh, as Kyle mentioned, the manuscripts, yeah. the manuscript mm -hmm. evidence, I mean, far more manuscripts, biblical manuscripts, than for widely accepted uh, you know, other works of literature, Homer, the Iliad, you know, those uh, kinds of things that people widely just go, oh, yeah. And some of the books, um, better, better, better manuscript evidence than some of the books that people use to argue against the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's crazy. Um, and so it's, it, it's a, it is a fascinating study. I mean, and now with, you know, not that everything on the Internet is true, but we have access to a lot of incredible information. Uh, I, I would just say in this regard, if you're going to, go down some of these wormholes, uh, so that you really be discerning as to, to what you're looking at, because there's a lot of garbage out there. I mean, you can find whole websites trying to discredit Scripture, and they'll talk about the Q gospel and a lot of these different things, claiming that, you know, the gospel writers, uh, you know, all relied upon a different source and all these different things. So, um, I mean, it's easy yeah. to be deceived if you don't yeah. know what you're talking about. For sure. Right? For sure. 
And I think that's part of what um, there is absolute merit in studying and being well versed in these things. But I think we were never meant to do that in isolation. That's right. Um, like you and a computer is isolation that can bring you. You can watch a YouTube video. Ask kids. You watch a YouTube video, they can, they can explain, like, they can prove anything. You know, great example is we were, uh, I'm going to call out one of our uh, students there. I won't say his name. But we were in Denver, all right, like a week ago. And he's walking through the Denver airport, and he's like, dude, you know this was built by the Illuminati, right? Like, and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I watched a YouTube video about it. It's true. I'm going to find the tunnels underneath. And I was like, all right, man, well, just meet us back, you know, at the van <laughs> when you get done, you know, like, and, but that's where, that's where our YouTube has taken us. That's where our, our content has taken us. Anybody can argue anything. And what I would argue for you is absolutely do the research, but don't do it alone. Um, have, I mean, come and talk to us, come and talk uh, to a community group, uh, a friend, all those types of things that the people that God has put around you don't study in isolation. Um, right. And don't be afraid to ask those questions. Yes. Right? Yes. If you find a disturbing question on the internet, let me assure you, we have 2,000 years of church history with scholars at the greatest universities around the world, with divinity schools that have been around forever, that there is no question that you will ever have about the Bible that has not been asked and answered. And at all of those schools, there are still Christians today because there are good answers. So don't yeah. be afraid to ask. Yeah, I love Rebecca, Rebecca McLaughlin talks about this in her book, and it's a pretty simple thing that we don't need to overlook. There's kind of a cultural idea that just dumb people believe the Bible. But very, very, very smart people that have dedicated their lives to the study of Scripture believe the words in the book that we read, that they believe. And it, that doesn't authenticate anything. That's not like, oh, wow, the smartest people do it, so I'm going to follow them. But that should give us uh, a little bit of at least go, man, I'm, I'm going to study what they've studied, you know, if you're a, a, a skeptic. Um, but to move along, just, just real yeah, quick go on, ahead. on that point, and I would say that idea that Christianity is for the ignorant is largely an American and Western European cultural idea. So if you go to Malaysia, Singapore, you go to Taiwan, you go to China, what you find is it's usually those who are more educated and more urban who become Christians. And they're seen as rejecting their ancestral religion for these you know, high and lofty urban religions. Yeah. So it's actually a cultural right. thing as well. Yeah, That's good. So we've talked about why do we trust the Bible is true, the authority question. We've talked about what do we mean by Bible. And let's talk about uh, two things, inspiration and inerrancy. This is what do we mean by true? Yeah. Right, So how do we know that the words that we're reading, the, sentence, the sentences, the words, all those things put together, that they are exactly as God intended? So let's talk about inerrancy, and then we'll look at inspiration. Okay. So what do we mean by inerrancy? What we mean is what the Baptist faith and message says, that it is totally true and trustworthy. So whenever we read the Bible, we can believe the things that it says, as long as we interpret it properly right? So it's very possible for us to look into a text that was written in another language in a culture long distant from ours and misinterpret something. 
I mean, we misinterpret things from our grandparents' generation or their parents' generation. We're looking much further back, okay, in a different language, different culture. So it's very possible that we can misunderstand things. But whenever we do, inter- whenever we do understand it as the original author intended it, we can be absolutely certain that it is without error, that it is true and faithful and reliable. Okay. Do you want to add to that? Um, no. That's, cool. I'll give you an A. So, on that. okay. But. <laughs> is so, it no A plus? A plus. Yeah. <laughs> okay. For sure. So, I think uh, this question is, if I'm being very <laughs> honest, uh, with the interpretation question, is one of the hardest yeah, things to, yeah. to grapple with. What are, and before we, because we have time, uh, you answered that like super fast. I don't know how you did that. But um, let's talk a little bit about interpretation. So what are some keys to interpreting that you find uh, are the most important? Yeah, so this is my absolute favorite class to teach in seminary. This is, like my, <laughs> this is my bread and butter. And so whenever I'm teaching students and pastors how they can best interpret the Bible, they need to pay very close attention to what we call the historical grammatical context. And all that that means is understanding the words in the grammar that is used from that time and the history and culture that comes from that time. And so that means if I open up a story about Abraham, right, in Genesis, well, if I want to understand that culture, I need to understand the ancient Near East at the time of Abraham. I need to understand the Hebrew that the text is written in, or I need to read scholars who have studied it and and can understand it. And so I encourage every single pastor, know the Hebrew, know the Greek, know the Aramaic as well if you're talking about Daniel or Ezra. And after you do that, whenever you're, whenever you're reading through the text, you need to do your best to understand that culture because our goal is to always find what the author intended, right? What is the author's intended meaning? Not what meaning I get out of this text. I don't care what meaning you get out of the text. I care what did that author intend because what the author intended is what God inspired. And so to get to that, sometimes we have to dig deep into historical grammatical meaning. So let me give an example. Yeah, I was going to ask you if, for an example. That's good. Yeah. So if, cool. if, if I were to bring you to our, to our city in KL, and I were to take you into old Chinatown, and I were to put in front of you a document that is written in Chinese, what would you do? Now, maybe you read Chinese, and you would just read the document, right? But first, you would need to ask questions What is this document? Where does it come from? What is this language? How can I understand what these characters mean? And you would do the work, if you really needed to, to understand that document. You would look into its historical grammatical meaning. That's all that we mean with the Bible. But then there's another step as well, which is we need to understand it as it is written in the literary styles in which it is written. God inspired a Bible that is full of genealogies and historical narratives and proverbs and poems and psalms, and we could go on and on and on with the different styles of literature. And just like if I were to give you a scientific scientific document and I were to give you a poem, 
you would know from your culture not to read these two the same way. We need to know from the various genres and styles of literature in the Bible how it is to be interpreted according to those styles. And so we study that. So a great example, maybe a biblical <coughs> example, is um, the idea of the image of God. Mm. I think this is something that has changed. Uh, you know, you hear, you know, growing up in church, you, you, you hear that you're created in God's image. Uh, and then you read Genesis 1.27 that says this. But um, before you, you know, left and, you know, left me to read on my own. Uh, but we went so, through a book. Uh, what was that book called? We did uh, Kingdom Through Covenant? Yes, 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 yeah, yes. That one. And the God's, we did the shortened God's Kingdom Through God's yes. Covenant. Yes. And uh, we talked a lot about the uh, context in which image of God was written. And it's not this idea, because you have this idea, oh, do I look like God? Do You know, there's all these different, and I will give, that is a very hard verse to interpret. I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah. But one of the things that, you know, you had me consider is, well, in what context was this written? And you talk about all the ways that God, that, you know, rulers set up little statues of themselves uh, that would say, this is my land. This is the way that I rule through these little statues. And if you put it at the, you know, the bed of a, a river, this is my river. And that God has created us uh, in his image. And this goes along with our calling and purpose to be uh, rulers of this, pointing back to our creator. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Yes. And you shall rule over the birds of the sky and the exactly. fish of the sea. Right, yeah. So this, like, even studying what it meant to, you know, the ancient uh, idea of image, image of God, like, that opens up an interpretation of that verse that you may just not think of. Because when we think of image, we just think of a picture, yeah. right? Uh, and so there's so many different ways in the Bible that we uh you know, interpret through our lens rather than the context in which that it was written. Uh, yeah, I was just going to kind of add the, the application side of what, what we're talking about here. I think that's one of the reasons that the American church particularly is so anemic is because we tend to interpret scripture through a very American lens. <laughs> uh, we, we've, we stop short when we, that's why I often say, uh, you know, I, I share the hermeneutic principle that Every scripture has one basic primary interpretation. Who wrote it, to whom was it written, and for what reason was it written? It cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. Now, certainly, all scriptures have many different applications. But, I mean, on the daily, on the daily, we see people plucking verses of scripture out of context and applying them in ways that is not biblically faithful, um, particularly in our current uh, political climate. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, I'll just, we're not Israel, y'all, okay? We're not. I'm just going to leave it at that. And that, a lot of that comes from um, a, a faulty interpretation, a, a faulty hermeneutic when it comes to yeah. biblical interpretation. And I think that, it, I think that it, it comes from a good motive, right? So you might look at a verse like, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, right? Um, and you might look at that verse and you might say, we as a nation, we need to humble ourselves and pray, right? And so we, we want America to come to the Lord. We want America to be faithful to the Lord, right? And so we go to the Old Testament and we find a verse like that and we pluck it out of its context and we give it a new meaning 
that the author didn't intend. Because in, that, in the original context, that's speaking about Israel, which is in a particular special covenant with God that America or China or Malaysia are not in, right? But it's still true that we need to humble ourselves and pray, right? And so I think it comes from a good desire, but it comes from a faulty hermeneutic, a faulty interpretation. And we could go for another hour talking about, you know, literal interpretation and what that means. But let me just really quickly speak on inspiration, and then we'll Mm -hmm. close with our final question. Um, One of the things that's commonly taught uh, is the idea of dictation. So uh, here's here's the truth. I'll get down to the truth. What the author writes is exactly what God wants us to hear. What the author has written is exactly what God wants us to hear and see and read. Uh, and, and, but the really cool thing is that people are not blocks of wood. Like they have, what God has uh, done is what Herman Bovink calls organic inspiration. So take Luke, for example. Uh, God uses Luke's gifts as a historian, as a physician, as a, a careful accuracy, intellect, and style, and he uses Luke's giftings, but still dictates exactly what he wants. So all, think about all the authors in uh, the Bible. There's, like we said, a couple, right? Uh, they come from different languages, styles, cultures, education, interest, abilities, all of these things. And what God does is he speaks through authors multi-perspectively, uh, so all these different perspectives, to give us many aspects of truth. So think about the different, just take the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and how the authors are very different, different styles, different backgrounds. But when you piece these together, it's just like this beautiful mosaic of truth giving us a picture of who Jesus is. And so this is exactly what I think the Bible does so well. And, like, it goes back to the very first question that we uh, answered. It's coherent. Mm -hmm. It comes together. But here's what's so cool is that that God uses. (laughs) I have to mute you. God uses the giftings of people, who we are, and doesn't erase that, but uses them to bring about his word. And I think that's one of the coolest parts about the Bible. Uh, but let's, we have about four minutes left. So let's answer this last question because I think it's really important. Can I talk about inspiration really quick? Yeah, go ahead, man. <clears throat> so in our context, this is actually a really important question because, um, and more and more in your context as well, Muslims believe that the Quran was given, handed down from heaven to Muhammad. And so they believe that the words of that original Arabic text are, by dictation, in that way, inspired, okay? It's very important for us to clarify, that is not what we mean. We do not mean that God, like, unzipped the writers of Scripture and put his arms in and then wrote those words, right? We mean that God, by his Holy Spirit, inspired them to write the words that God put on their heart in the style of their time, in the, in, in the language, to communicate his meaning to that people in a relevant way at that time. And so it's, it's very important to know that difference. I love, like, even in the writings of 
difference of, of Paul and Peter, right? Uh, one of my favorite verses is in 2 Peter 3 where Peter's just like, yeah, Paul's writing, super hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. I, that's, one of my fa- yeah. that's one of my favorite verses. It's just like, yeah, I'm with you, Peter. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so let's talk about this last question. Uh, why does this matter? Like, what do we lose if we uh, don't have a firm grasp on the truthfulness of Scripture on uh, any of these topics that we've uh, spoken about? So I'll, I'll give uh, all three of us about a minute to answer this. Me first? Okay. Dang. All right. So I, I'm uh, reading a, a lot on... Uh, this is just kind of a personal application for me. I'm reading a lot on gender and sexuality right now. Uh, and one of the things that I've noticed, and I think this is a uh, misconception, for, I guess just the way I've always thought, is that when people had a different idea or a, not an idea, a different um, conclusion on a certain topic, I just thought that they didn't know the Bible. Like, I didn't really say that. But I'm like, these people just didn't read like that part, right? They just kind of like scoot, scooted by it. And one of the things that I found is um, they uh, are interpreting Scripture and using Scripture to build their argument just like I am. And I'll be honest with you, that's a wrestle for me because they're using the very same uh, scriptures that I would use. They're using the same, uh, obviously, Bible that I would use, but they're coming to vastly different conclusions than I would. And so when I think about things like inspiration and inerrancy and uh, translation, all these things that I've been, uh, we've been talking about, I think if we lose, one of the things uh, that we didn't really speak about but I think is important, a historic interpretation of Scripture <laughs> I think if we lose that, uh, if we think, man, we just know so much more than what the Bible offers us or tells us, or, you know, they didn't really think about this, or, you know, they didn't face this, I think if we go that route, we can go down some roads that are not faithful to what God has revealed to us. Um, And I wish I could go into kind of a deeper explanation of that, but I think this matters, all these things that we've talked about, because God has revealed truth to us. That means that there's some maybe diversity within that truth, but ultimately, if we go down some roads that are maybe not historical, uh, maybe not backed in a community interpretation, uh, then, man, we can get to some places that are very, very dangerous. So that's kind of my... Yeah, that's really helpful. I mean, it's like that, it's like this arrogance of, well, no, the church has never believed this but I'm confident that Scripture teaches this. And you ask the question, well, then what did they get wrong? Is there some new data from the Bible that they didn't have? Is there some new data outside? And the answer is often not. It's just, well, we just know better now. You know, so yeah, we we definitely don't want to reject that traditional interpretation. I mean, for me, why is this relevant? Why does this matter? Because my life is built upon it. I mean, every, every aspect of my life is built upon it. How do I treat my kids? How do, I, how do I love my wife well? How do I relate to others? What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to teach in seminary, right? I mean, every aspect about my life is built on the truth of the Word of God, and I have yet to find anything which makes me question that it is true, and so it's, yeah, it's pretty relevant. Good answer. Mike? Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we use three identity statements here a lot. Um, 
as it relates to our church. And, and the first one is biblically based. Uh, we don't use that because that's just kind of a hip and cool thing to say in the current church culture. Okay, It's because we truly want this gathering of believers to be a biblically based body of believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is everything to us in terms of life and practice and everything. And so you look at your politics through the lens of scripture. You look at how you treat your neighbor through the lens of scripture. You look at everything in this world, uh, every decision you make. And while scripture may not speak explicitly to some things, I mean, yeah, there's been times just like you, I open up, man, I just wish there was a, you know, a verse that said very clearly what I should do in this situation. God's word speaks to everything as it relates mm-hmm. to life and godliness. It's, it's what scripture tells us. And so uh, then the next identity statement is, is we're biblically based, Christ-centered. And the reason is because we believe that the central figure of this book, if we're going to be biblically based, is Jesus Christ, God mm-hmm. in the flesh. Uh, and so because he is the central figure of scripture, then we are gospel-driven because this is a, a record of God's redemptive plan, cover to cover. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's critically important to us. If we don't have that as our basis, then every week we gather together, then it becomes, thus saith Mike, or you know, whatever popular opinion of the day is and everything. And trust me, there are churches all over America that that's what you'll find. I mean, you, you'll go to a lot of churches, and you will rarely if ever even open your Bible. And I'm not saying that as a, as a point of pride. I'm not even suggesting that I always expound this word well, okay? But the truth is, uh, you don't want to come and just hear Mike's opinion on stuff. Because if this book is not authoritative to us, then something else or someone else becomes the authority. Yep. And, and that's where we get into a lot of trouble. And one of the I words that we, that we didn't have time to talk about here is this idea of infallibility. Hmm. So God's word will ultimately accomplish what God intends it to accomplish. Okay, um, and I think that's that's something that we should cling to. I mean, this is God's word. <laughs> I know that sounds simplistic, but that's that's incredible. Um, that's incredible. So, what an important subject. Yeah. yeah. How awesome that God has revealed His word in a way that the unlearned can treasure it, and the smartest among us can never figure it out. Yeah. Uh, that's one of my favorite things about the Bible, that I can tell my girls about um, a story in the scriptures, and they can tell me something about God that they learned, but we can spend, you can write a dissertation on that, on that same yeah. subject and not get close to the depth in which God right. has revealed himself. Um, what a book we are given and what a gift it is to us. Um, worthy of study and worthy of following for the rest of your life. Um, so on that note, let us pray, uh, and then we will be dismissed. God, we thank you um, for today. We thank you for the Lord's day, that we can come and worship you, uh, that you are worthy of all of our worship and praise. And God, I thank you for your word, that you have given us written revelation of who you are, that you have literally disrobed and showed us yourself. You could uh, have left us in the dark, but you have chosen to show us who you are in a way that we can comprehend it, what grace and mercy it is. So God, I pray that we would treasure your words, that we would follow your words, that it would rub against our own ideas of who you are. And I pray that you would reveal to us the truth. 
And God, as we hear your word preached today, as we sing with our brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you would be glorified. So God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being gracious and just and merciful and compassionate. And thank you for giving us your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.